Well, as we come to look at Isaiah 58 uh, that Lois just read for us, let's pray and ask for his help. Lord, we pray for your help because we need you to um, open us up like a tin can. Uh, we don't want to be our hearts to be closed to you. Uh, we want to be open to you, Lord. Uh, we want all your truth and light uh, to stream into us, Lord, uh, that we would be followers of you, that we would know you, that we would love you. So uh, we're asking for your holy work, Lord, in our midst even now by your spirit. And we pray in that tremendous name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, over the next few weeks, we have, uh, are going to be looking at uh, the book of Isaiah. We already started last week, and we are going to look at just these last chapters in Isaiah, uh, some of them very special. For Isaiah 58, it is possibly um, one of the hardest-hitting chapters uh, of all the Bible in terms of calling out uh, false uh, religion. It is written about 700 years before Jesus turned up, so that's about written about 2,700 years ago. And Isaiah is calling these people, these ancient people, to true and genuine faith and not to be fake. And so I'd like to look at really four things. Um, I want to look at that whole aspect of how we can um, look great on the outside. And secondly, I want to look at that whole aspect, how it's possible even for religious-looking people to be rotten on the inside. And thirdly, I want to look at the true fruit uh, that we see in this passage. And lastly, how can we change? The way that this passage starts is really designed, I reckon, to shock us because it says right at the beginning in verse 1, of chapter 58, shout it aloud and do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. It's God speaking to Isaiah and saying, Isaiah, I don't want you to uh, be all calm at this point. I don't want you to speak quietly and I don't want you to speak privately. I want you to raise your voice. I want you to shout aloud and don't hold back. Put a trumpet to your lips. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day, they seek me out. They seek me out. And they seem eager to know my ways. They seem like they, 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 they are people of God. That's what it seems like at the outside. It seems like they want to draw them near, near me. It seems like that uh, on the outside, but it's not true. God is saying of his people, actually, it's an outward show. It's all glitz and glamour and it looks great on the outside, but there's something deeply wrong. A farmer once told me of an experience that he had many years ago. He was a potato farmer in Victoria. And 
he had this beautiful crop of potatoes and he invited a team in because he needs someone to dig the potatoes and harvest the potatoes and to bag them up for him. So the team came and they looked big, strong team and uh, he said, here's the potato patch and he left them to it. He was really actually surprised that they got the job done just so fast, like amazing. And he went and had a look, and here were these fantastic big bags of potatoes, uh, and the yield was really good. So he paid them gladly and sent them on their way. And it wasn't until after they'd gone that he actually dug a bit deeper, and he found underneath the top of the potatoes there were rocks in the bag. And so he tipped out the whole bag of potatoes and there's rocks. And he tipped out the next bag and the potatoes on top, but rocks underneath. And it looked like one thing on the outside, but on the reality was something corrupt, something totally wrong. And what God is saying to these people of Israel, you look great on the outside, but there's something horribly wrong. Um, deep down. In actual fact, he says, well, well he, he quotes them. In verse 3, he says that they are saying, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? What this means is that the people are fasting. Do you know what fasting is? Fasting is, we, we still do it today. We sometimes don't eat food as a way of drawing near to God. It's kind of like um, some way of, of, of drawing near to God. But these people are using their fasting and their religious practices as a way of trying to get things from God in a way that God is not happy with at all. It's like they are saying, God, we've fasted, we've kept our side of the bargain, we've done our religious outward action, and you don't seem to have noticed. Bad things are happening to our lives. We, we've paid our due. It's, imagine this. You've got a, a machine, and you put the money in the slot, and you expect something to pop out the bottom. And they are treating God like a machine. They're saying, we've, we've done our little bit. <laughs> We've paid our dues and now we're shaking you and saying, why haven't you answered us? We've, we've, we, in those days, um, in the Canaanite religions, what they'd do with their gods is that they'd perform certain acts, certain cultic, horrible sometimes, religious acts, and they would put pressure on their gods so that their gods would do what they want them to do. And God is saying, you cannot manipulate me like that. I'm, the, the Israelite religion is nothing to do with manipulating me. I am the gracious God. I have come and saved you when you didn't do anything. I brought you out of darkness and out of Egypt. Even before you even knew me, I, I gathered you. Don't you try and manipulate me like that. And when God sees this, they, he's saying, you're just trying to manipulate me. There's a terrible danger here for us. A terrible danger. A big, big danger. And that is that we can use formalised religion to get what we want from God, to get God to do what we want. 
we can sort of think that we can use formalised the things that we want to do, or I'm going to do this and we'll do that, and, and we'll get God to do what we want him to. In other words, we think we're the centre. In other words, we think that the world should um, revolve around us. We try to get God to do our will. In actual fact, we're to do his will. And Isaiah says, God says to Isaiah, do not hold back. Raise your voice. Raise your voice. And declare to my people that they're wrong. That's the first thing, the outward show. But the second thing is, I'm sorry about this, but things get worse. He talks about the rotten centre. He says, look, you guys, you're making accusations against me that I haven't done what you wanted me to do, but I've actually got some accusations against you. And he gets quite specific. On the day of your fasting, the day that you do not eat, you do as you please, it says in verse 3, and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. You can't fast like this and expect God to hear you. In other words, you're doing all your religious stuff. It's kind of, this is the danger for us, that we would do our religious stuff on Sunday. And yes, we we go to church and we think we've done our thing. And then on Monday, we exploit all our workers. Or we strike others with wicked fists. Or we just do stuff that is totally out of line with the God that we profess to worship. And God's angry with the hypocrisy. He's saying to them, oh, you bow low, you lie yourself in sackcloth and ashes, you, you, you do all the religious things, but in actual fact, it's all about you. And it's not about me. The third thing, so the first thing is the outward show. The second thing is the rotten centre. I remember um, a few years ago, I've got a pear tree um, and I don't take any care of it at all. But for some reason, it bore these beautiful fruit, like magnificent, great big pears. I was so happy with them. And I had way too many for me, so I gave them around to neighbours. And um, they, they were just so beautiful. And then I, it took me a while until I bit into one and found that it was actually full of grubs. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I thought it was so beautiful. And, and it's as though God is saying to the people of Isaiah, of Isaiah's time, look, you, you look just so terrific on the outside. But inside, there's things that are terribly, terribly wrong. But then, thirdly, he talks about the true fruit. The true fruit of connection with God. It says in verse 6, Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To lose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break Every yoke, to break every yoke. In other words, he's saying, if you've got a true connection with God, 
There will be a deep concern in your heart for the helpless. It will not be all about you. It won't be all about the fact that you're going to get God to do whatever you want him to do. It won't be like that. If you've got a genuine connection with God, he's saying you will become like God in the sense that God is the one that cares for the broken and for the helpless. And he mentions two kind of big areas. One is like institutional structures that crush people. Listen, to loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke. In that generation, there was injustice going on and there were people that were being squashed within society and, and they could not get out. And he's saying, you're not doing anything for those helpless people. I wonder sometimes in our city about the fact that kids can go through all the way through school and never learn to read. I mean, you might say, well, that's the government's fault. Or you might say, well, that's the parents' fault. But nobody says that it's the kids' fault. And, and what, what Isaiah is saying is that if you're a people of God, you care. You really care about brokenness. You care about people that are trapped in situations where there's violence and they can't get out. You worry about situations where there seems to be this, this entanglement of people imprisoned in a society where they just cannot get out. And, and God is saying, if you're my people... You care about that. You care about domestic violence. It says that a yoke, a yoke is a situation. You remember what a yoke is? It's got two bullocks and they're side by side with one another and you've got some timber that goes over their neck and timber that goes and they're yoked together. But they're yoked to a kind of slavery that they can't get out of. They're just yoke they can't get out of this thing and he's saying that many people in society uh, have got this yoke on their neck and they can't get free they can't be free but if you're someone that is a member of the people of God you break the yoke so that they are made free Maybe you say, well, some of these problems are intractable problems and the government can't fix them. But what God is saying, that's what the church is for. I know it's amazing, but that's what the, that's what the church is for. Government, there's lots of things the government can't fix. But God's people are to care for people that are broken. Not only is it institutional structures, but it's individuals. Because it says in verse 7, Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? That expression, the poor wanderer, is someone that's come into your country and they've basically got nothing. To give them shelter, to take them in, to care for them. It's like a refugee. You've got to give them worth and dignity. So these people are coming to God with their ceremonies 
And, but it's all for selfish reasons. It's all about them. It's they're saying, I just want to make sure that my business is flourishing. So I, I get God on side. I do my religious bit. I do my religious bit on Sundays. And so that he will make my business flourish. Or I do my religious bit, but I just want to make sure that my wealth is sort of increasing. Or that my health is um, secure. Or that my comfort levels are what they are supposed to be. And God is saying... You think it's all about you. You think that I'm here as a butler to serve your purposes. That's not the way it is. I'm the God of the universe. Our love and connection to God is shown in our love and connection to those that are powerless. You know, it's in God's nature to give himself away to people that can never repay him. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, he talks, he's talking about the last day, actually. Matthew 25. And he says, The Son of Man will come with all his glorious angels and he'll separate the sheep from the goats. Do you remember how the sheep and the goats are separated? He'll say to the sheep, Welcome, into my father's kingdom because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was in prison and you, you, you visited me. I was naked and you clothed me. And the sheep are going to say, when? When did we do it? But he says to the goats, depart from me because I was in prison and you never visited me. I was hungry. You never, I was naked and you... Do, do you see that caring... For the helpless and the needy are right at the centre of what God is wanting his people to be. It's just not some sort of add-on. Anyone who is connected with God will have a care for those that are broken and needy. In verse 8 and following... There's these promises, the promises that come to us when we give ourselves away. Listen to the promises. It changes the tune here. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. If you're someone who, who is um, providing the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them, when you don't turn away from your own flesh and blood, then God says, then your light will shine forth. Break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer you. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression and the pointing of the finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always and he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and he will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden and like a spring whose waters never fail. I take this as a series of promises to us as a church. If we're a people who give ourselves away to others, then, then 
our light will break forth like the dawn. It's like saying you'll have the saving presence of God in your midst. If we have a genuine genuine relationship to God, a light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing, healing will quickly appear, healing for wounded lives. God's righteousness, it says, will go before and his glory will come behind. One goes before and one's like a rear guard. And that you will be like um, watered like God's garden and a spring. The danger is, of course, that all this can just make us feel guilty. Me too. That we could do so much more that our attitudes can be better than what they are. So the question is, how, how can we change? How can we be the people that God wants us to be? And I just want to finish here at this fourth point. How can we change? Do you know if you flick, and I'm not asking you to do this right now, but if you flick a few chapters ahead in Isaiah, you'll come to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, when Jesus comes to the earth, he, he walks into a synagogue 700 years after Isaiah was written and someone hands him the scroll of Isaiah the same book that we're reading now, and he turns to chapter 61. What is our chapter 61 now? And he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bring freedom for the captives and sight for the blind, to to bring people out of the prison house and to declare the year of the Lord's favour. And he says, And today these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. This is what we've got to know as believers in Christ. That only Christianity really shows how far God is prepared to go to identify himself to the, with the poor and the oppressed. Because when God comes, he comes and he's born in a feed trough. And he lives the son, really, of a peasant woman. And he never owned a house. And when he went into Jerusalem, he came into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. And he, when he was buried, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And when he died, he died and they stripped him naked and that all he had was his clothes and they cast lots for them. He was poor. He was poor and when God comes, he comes and associates very, very deeply with the broken and the helpless and the lost and the poor. Jesus enters right into our poverty and into our brokenness. But when Jesus dies and rises again, it is him and him alone that can declare freedom. It's him. I really do believe That the ultimate thing that will break the yoke and change social structures and set the captive free and bring freedom for the drug addict, for the alcoholic, for them trapped in anger, for people trapped in a thousand ways, the ultimate way that will bring that is the gospel of Christ, his death and his rising. It's the thing that sets the captives free. 
It is Christ himself that comes. But we are to be his, his instruments. We are to be his own purchased people. We are to become like him. We are baptised into Christ. And we're his. And now we are to live as those that love the poor, that are seeking, saying, Lord, would you somehow use me by your power to bring healing and, and restoration to a community that is that is broken at 10,000 ways. Maybe you think to yourself, well, I feel hopeless. I don't think that anything can change. To which God says, your light shall break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. My righteousness will go before you and my glory will follow you. I want to use you for the blessing of of many. You know, we are people, it's an amazing truth. We are people that have been loved by Christ and brought into Christ, and now we're to be like Christ in his love for the poor and for the helpless. And so I'm going to pray with you that, that God would so work in our midst uh, that he would be using us as an instrument for grace all over the place because you. Uh, are touching lives that I could never, ever touch. Where you go into your workplace, where you go into your schools, in university, where you go in homes and neighbours, you touching people. And God, beyond all your imaginings, as you trust in him, can use you to bless. Father, I am just praying with my brothers and sisters now that uh, as we look to you, as we humble ourselves truly, not in a false way, but in a true way, humble ourselves before your throne, that we would know you, O God, the giver of all good gifts and the one that grabs us out of darkness and brings us into light. And thank you that you are our God in faithfulness and love, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.